Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the club. club. Welcome to the club. All right. So this week, Sean, we are asking that age-old question. Does your brand suck? Oh, man. So this is really meant to be specific to interior designers or even solopreneur service-based industry folks. So if your projects have slowed down this during, during this time, um, you might have a few extra hours a day to work on this kind of behind the scenes stuff. So it's a good time if you're considering working on your website or you need to lay some better foundation down first. It won't cost you anything. So that's what we'll be chatting about today. Yeah, this is part of like a, probably a much broader topic and we're certainly not going to be able to get to everything all about branding, but I think this is a good primer to start with. So before we jump into that, you know we got to get into this week's fizzle and sizzle. Um, every week we're going to share something that fizzled for us and bummed us out while also taking a minute to celebrate something that sizzled and got us excited. So Rebecca, what's on yours this week? Okay, so fizzle, I had a few <laughs> that I was debating, so I'm not going to talk about, talk about the state of my eyebrows today. <laughs> Although that's a real problem, but I really caterpillars growing on our foreheads. Oh my god! Um, so last Sunday, so a week ago, our time, we have a creek, a little creek that runs through our backyard, which is really cool. And I was enjoying a nice drizzly morning on the patio by myself, this covered patio. And I was kind of sharing, oh, the rain's getting, the rain's getting stronger and stronger. And like literally <laughs> within two hours, our entire like middle section of our yard was a raging river. Um, and it's just kept getting higher and higher, made me a little nervous. I mean, this happens as a seasonal creek, but it got pretty crazy for a while. I saw All your well. Instagram stories. It was shocking to watch, like, posted 15 minutes ago, 13, 10, like, five minutes. Okay, two minutes ago, this story posted. And <laughs> there it just goes, rose. There goes Cecily's picnic table downstream. <laughs> <laughs> we picked it up down a couple of houses down, but yeah. So everything was fine, but it was a little sketchy. Like, this is not was- what I need right now. We have flood insurance, yeah, but it's not that great. <laughs> so my sizzle would be, I'm trying to focus on little wins in my house right now. So sure. um, our family room, we painted in January, this really fun, deep kind of blue. And it just was never really finished. I hadn't finished styling it. So I just kind of did this give a mouse a cookie thing where I moved a painting <laughs> from my bedroom there and then ended up spending the rest of the day like building this epic kind of maximalist gallery wall, but I'm really happy with it. So zero cost, totally feels different. 
it's awesome to do projects like that. But no, it doesn't get talked about enough how long gallery walls oh my really God, I take. I mean, There's there only is half no, a one. Yeah, there is no take one and everything's perfect. It, even if you've got a massive collection of art or textiles or whatever that's ready to go up on the wall. I mean, I have a whole closet full of stuff that I keep for clients or for myself and I still would never be able to put it up in just an hour or two. There's no way. I have a lot of stuff. <laughs> I've hoarded <laughs> quite a bit, but let's not tell my husband how many holes are there. I mean, there's a okay. lot of, um, Fair enough. I just, I'm not worried about that. Stuff, holes. So yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot of extra. Yeah. I mean, it's just paint. No one knows. <laughs> you can, you yeah. can, yeah, you do it all again. And as long as the frame covers it, it's all good. Yeah. How about you? Um, oh, girl, this week, let me tell you, you sort of warned me. I don't think I was ready, but the Schitt's Creek series finale, um, so it's the season five finale, which is our final season, and I, that's my fizzle. I was ready. I feel like they've been building us up to be ready for the close of the season, Um but I didn't expect to be as sad as I was at the end of the final episode. I, I know. I laughed. I needed to pause it so I could finish laughing at certain points. And <laughs> all of that was great. But also I needed to pause it so I could cry at a couple points and be able to like listen to them and the dialogue. Um, and I'm so attached to the characters. Like Moira is, she's probably not my spirit animal, but she's a lot of people and a lot of gay men's spirit animal. Um, and that show is just so iconic in its humor. So I'm really sad to see it go. You know, I watched it too. And um, the only thing that I would say is that the, it was the first time I cried during this whole pandemic. Like, I think I needed like the emotional like push to like let out some feelings. <laughs> so, cry it out. I had to cry it out a little bit. Yeah. Because you've been the strong pillar for a lot of, for yourself, for your business, for your employees, for your husband, for Cecily. I mean, if you get to let it out on a TV show. I know. Like, Thanks, David. Yeah. Yeah, it's it was a it was it's rough. Um, on a lighter note, my sizzle this week is I powered through. It doesn't sound like a lot of time, but I powered through a solid two-hour block of time this week working on some updates that I've been planning for my website, and I've been putting them off so long. I think I've actually built up how much I needed to do in my head. And then when I, like, turns out, I sat down and started really focusing on getting it done. It really wasn't that bad. I had a lot more of it already formulated in my head that I just had to get out. Um, and I'm hoping that I can have everything finalized in the coming weeks here. But I think something that did help me get through it was uh, earlier this week, Lindsay Borchard of Lindsay Brooke Design on Instagram, uh, she posted a playlist that helps her focus and it's called Chilled Cow. Um, so we'll have to put it in the show notes, oh, but yeah, it's on, you can listen like a live stream. They have like 27 hours of a streamable 
music stream they've created that's like music to focus, music to chill to, music to study to. It was pretty cool. And ever since then, I've been letting myself get into it and block some stuff out. And it just kind of helps you focus in the background. It doesn't have a lot of lyrics. It's not super upbeat, but not so low beat that you're going to like to take a nap during it. So I I might credit part of that to my productivity. I have one that I listened to from um, Jamie Beck, who is a photographer for Ann Street Studios. Her handle, it's amazing. But she lives in, she's an American living in Providence. Do you follow her? No. She, oh, her life. But um, (laughs) she, it's like, she's just this throwback in time. And she has a playlist that she's created that's like all this beautiful piano, no, yeah, there's no um, vocals. And it just makes you feel like you're like arranging lavender on your (laughs) marble fireplace. Like it feels very romantic. In your estate. Yeah, it makes (laughs) you feel like you're doing really important stuff. So I'm down. need some new focus music. Yeah, music can be an escape and I, but also an, es- an escape to in this case my work like I needed something to help get me in a state of mind so like you said celebrating small wins that was a big one for me of powering through that stuff that I've been putting off and finally the client emails and phone calls slowed down enough for me to go okay what else are you doing like get it together. Make it work people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, well, that's a good segue into our topic this week. Yeah. It's time to like get this stuff done. Does your brand suck is the question. And I think it's good for the two of us to be able to share like, okay, where are we coming from? What's our perspective? Because I'm not necessarily a branding expert. Um, But I have developed the brand for my website and for my own company, along with a marketing agency that I partnered with. And I also developed sort of an awareness of how important branding is to a business strategy when I was working in the banking industry during my first career. Um, I did work in learning and development and creating curriculum for our classroom environments. And all of that sort of brought these ideas to the surface of like, how do you reinforce a company's vision, their mission, their brand identity, and make sure that that comes through in employee-facing communications, in client-facing communications. So it's definitely on my horizon all the time. Right. And as we talked about in our first episode, I... I'm used to own a creative agency. So this is what we did for other companies and small businesses and organizations, um, developing brands, graphics, identities. It's funny when I first launched Studio Plum two years ago, I actually didn't let myself work on (laughs) my branding very much. (laughs) Like I knew I would get lost in the weeds with it. So I had an assignment in the class that I took and I'm like, okay, you're just going to be about the content. Don't make it that pretty. Like just get it out. It'll be, it'll be fine. Whatever you do quickly. So yes. So I didn't do very much at that time, which I'm kind of glad because it's taken me 
this amount of time to kind of figure out my voice and things we're going to talk about. And I'm ready Absolutely. for a refresh. Spoiler alert. Yeah. We just need to start with what is a brand? Why do you need one? Um, for all of the examples that we see that are great out there, there are just as many where it seems like there's this missing awareness of why exactly it needs to be done. Um, it's worth pointing out that a brand is not just creating a logo and making it your avatar on Instagram and then that's it. There's so much more that goes into it. So yeah, the whole purpose of a brand, it's not to be like corporate and buttoned up and um, like lacking your persona. I mean, it's the opposite. All of it adds together. So there's just, as we all probably know, there are lots of designers in the marketplace, but there are still plenty of clients. So the whole point is to match ourselves with our ideal clients and have our clients gravitate towards you and your individual brands. So the question is kind of like, why should a client hire you? You need to answer that question in your brand and have some visuals that initially attract him, especially on social media. Yeah. I mean, when you think about a brand, it's really like what everyone is thinking about you when you're not around, when you're not there. It's going to have some emotion behind it. When people interact with you, with your company, you want to be acting in a way that's consistent with that brand and I think like you said like there there is a line between who we are personally and what our companies are but for many of us we're doing all that day-to-day -day work so our personal brand is an expression of our companies and what we do for our clients and sometimes I think you define it however you want just define it and sometimes I think like it can be really interesting when that person it's an when it's an unexpected personality behind like a body of work. Alexa Hampton, who spoke at the influencers conference I attended last month, she has a very high end brand and portfolio. Like her work is beautiful. It's very traditional and luxe and um, yeah. But her she did a keynote and her persona is super irreverent. She swears, she's talking about her hair and nails half the time. She's just really funny. Like you just want to go have a cocktail with her. Those two things don't necessarily add up at first impression, but when they come together, it makes a brand. Like it's like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like she has this really like high end portfolio and then, but her personality is very down to earth and approachable. So like together you really, um, get a different I don't know it just the sum of the parts is different I struggle too because no one is saying okay let's go out and reinvent ourselves in order to attract something we want but if you're telling me that you're going to be show, you want to be showing up in front of you know multi-millionaire clients and the one percenters and you're not professional and you don't have like a html signature on your on your email uh i mean we're gonna have some trouble reconciling those two different you know identities that are showing up in front of us so you know like you said it's okay who are you 
who are you going to serve? How are you going to talk to them? Can you, you know, can you dress appropriately for what, what that clientele is expecting? A lot of my clients don't expect me to show up in a suit, but some could. Um, I find that most of my clients feel a sense of relief and like relaxed and more likely to have me into their homes and share with me their problems when I'm showing up in like a t-shirt, cute sweater, you know, my loafers or something. It, it doesn't cute have hat. to be pretentious. Yeah, my, not my new cute hat. It doesn't have to be <laughs> pretentious, but you know, be put together. Don't, don't be wearing your college tee, you know, to your initial meeting with a client or something, but all of that communicates like who you are. Um, and I would argue that you can be intentional about it. I've always wanted to be seen as, like, even in my previous career, I wanted to be seen as the creative. So I felt like I got a little bit of a pass because um, I could always, <laughs> I mean, I didn't dress like in sweats or anything, but I could add like a, I could add, add a funky tee under a blazer if I was going to go meet a client. And I'm still that way. I've built yeah. that into my brand because I want it. Whoever is okay with that is the client that I want. So yes, I'm trying Good to build a lot of approachability, cool but I want it to be approachable. And I'm just not a fancy person. Like I'm not saying the right words half the time. I'm kind of a dodo. My brain kind of like goes offline. Like I have like a little bit of a nutty professor side to me. So I want all of that yeah. to be um, transparent. Like there's, right. I want it to be likable, of course, but I want to bake that into everything that I do. It, there is sort of this like dichotomy of your front of house, what everyone else sees sure. in public and the back. And, and I think it's starting to blur a lot with, how much we expose on social media and what we share. So I think you choose, you like you get do. to choose. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying what, to keep those sure pretty close, but like, just be consistent and make sure it's still a part of you. Like you still have that corporate banker in you so you can code switch pretty quickly. <laughs> um, yeah. The uptight banker so it doesn't is feel, still there. <laughs> it doesn't feel inauthentic. Not, not in a bad way. But like, you still have that, you're still a rule the follower. Business, like you do things the yeah. right way. Like that's still part of you. So it's still authentic Correct. to you. Whether it's an email or a phone call or something on my website, I want to make sure it's all communicating that it's the same person helping all my clients. And the point of all of that isn't that the way we are doing it should be the way anyone else does it. It's just that we've thought it through and we are trying to weave it into our businesses and our lives. Definitely, definitely. So that's where it comes back to all the listeners to have to say, okay, if I'm going to do that, who, who is, what is my niche? Who is my Who's market? Where is my market? Yeah. And that, let's dive into that a little bit. I've done a little bit of brand work for other clients or a lot, but um specifically for personal brands, it gets a little bit, a little different because your persona, like we were just talking about, is woven through it. But I um, think it's really important to still define it. It's really hard 
when you're a small business and you're open to kind of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, people I've realized resist this idea of writing a niche statement or niche. Do you say niche or niche? Where do you stand? Oh, I don't know. I guess it depends on how I'm using it. Oh, like if it's in the niche? shower or if you're talking about <laughs> your personal brand? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. What did I just say when I talked about it? Did I say niche? I don't niche, remember because I, I think I go both ways uh, too. So let's see. To describe your niche, now I don't even know what to say. Okay, I'm going to say niche. Niche. You can answer these questions. So ask yourself these questions and answer them. Who is your ideal client? Be specific. The whole point of this is to create a target that's very specific. And then if you hit something outside of it, it's okay that you're still wanting to draw your ideal client to you. So who is your ideal client? What are they like? What do they like? Are they male? Are they female? Does that not matter? Are they a certain price point? Um, What is your ideal service? This is, I think, something that in design, we have a lot of ranges to our services. For instance, I don't want to take on construction work. Sean does. I love it. I love it. So this is something to really like know what your ideal service is. Yeah. And why. It doesn't mean you would turn down. Like if if the right project came along that's for you, that's construction and it's got a great architect and a really, you know, solid contractor with amazingly amazing clients who really want you involved that doesn't mean you'd necessarily turn that project down just because it's not in the niche that you want to be in, but you're going to look carefully at those projects. And make sure, yeah, my role in it is going to put me in the best light. Totally. And I think the big question that everyone needs to answer, which is really hard, but why, why are you doing this? What's Mm -hmm. really driving you? What's gets you out of bed in the morning not just to make a paycheck and not just based on talent like oh i'm good at design so this is what i'm gonna do it it, it's got to be a little bit more hippy dippy than that (laughs) a little touchy-feely yeah 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 you've got to be able to answer it and this is where we say like a brand ties into emotions is you have to think about yourself and what excites you and what drives you um because let's be real we are not getting into this solopreneur game for the creativity only or the glitz and glamour like there's you could do that for a big firm yeah you could be you could be a lot of the headache yeah you could be a junior designer and let let another principal take on everything so i did a quick um niche statement and it's i'm still working on it but this will be woven into my bio it's something that you can put on your website super easily it should be with using your own language so my name is rebecca plum i am the founder of studio plum an interior design studio based in sacramento california my passion is to help busy women create livable and lovable homes i love that It's like short and sweet. It doesn't have to be heavy. No. 
So like I do work with male clients, but they're not my primary target. And I have, I don't even know if I've really had a male client, like husbands, but not. Not separately, like bachelor pad status. No. And it's not, I think it's just like who I'm attracting. So yeah. Yeah, and I still need to work on this. I think, like, adding kind of a price point into it would be helpful, too. Like, I'm not necessarily a luxury designer, but I'm also not trying to be an affordable designer, so I'm working on some of that wording. Yeah, there's, like, a mid, but entry mid level that I find that I'm, like, the most comfortable in because I want people to be flexible I don't want them to have unrealistic ideas of what they can get for certain price points. And it helps when clients are paying attention to dollars because it can usually lead them in my work, it can lead them to make decisions faster because they're still conscious of how much time is going into design and what that could have equaled for furniture and accessories or something else in the home. So. I like that kind of sweet spot of, well, we've got enough to play with to do this project and even think about working with a designer, but not so much that you could do whatever you want in the space. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is Um, like something to definitely think about. And what kind of people do you want to be around? Yeah. I feel like you end up with a lot of uh, young families. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'd say that's, I don't necessarily put that energy out there, but I definitely, on my website, the the messaging talks about approachability, uh, that nothing is too precious, that if you love it, you should have it type of atmosphere that I'm not focused on, oh, well, those two things don't belong together. Like, it's like, oh, you love both those pieces of art you got on a trip? Cool. And I think that that, there's a way to work that into that messaging, like you're saying. Right. And I have, I think almost all of my clients have had kids like around the five and under age, which is probably though because of my circles. So I have a daughter that's five and I have a lot of different Facebook groups I'm in or people that I've met. And it's just kind of like attracts like, I think. Yeah. And um, I get my name gets referred out to other people and when you're in circles of people with little kids, then that happens. And I understand the world of (laughs) having a kid in my house all the time, but still wanting it to look nice. So yeah, that's a sweet spot. You can totally live with kids and dogs. It's possible. We we need to show you how (laughs) and how you can still have a pretty house and a functional house. I like what you pointed out about putting this into your bio because I look at the analytics for my website and I know that nearly every visitor ends up on my about page. So I know they're reading it. I know they're looking at it. And if I can draw and capture their attention to these statements that it's sort of identifying like, oh, hey, I'm a good fit for them. I'm a young Mm -hmm. family or I'm, you know, a busy, you know, a busy woman, like in your case, I'm a busy woman. I, mm-hmm. I want a house that my family loves and I want to give that to them. I think that's where you sort of start hooking them in to that messaging of, oh, they're talking to me when they're writing this. Right. That's like definitely a good sales tactic to help mm-hmm. your ideal client see themselves in what you're selling. Yeah. 
And sure, if um, if a uber wealthy client wanted to fly me to their third home in Lake Tahoe and have me be involved with that, I'm not necessarily saying no right off the bat, but I do like my smaller homes that have some projects are one room. It doesn't mean I won't grow into bigger places one day, but right now I love the, the little market that I'm working in. Yeah, same. And if that Tahoe client wants me to source from the Paris flea markets when they're open again, I'm, I'm going to be their gal. Yeah. This is a lot of information for any of us to have to put together. It can also be really overwhelming if you haven't gone through some of these exercises before. So there's a couple things that you should be pulling together into your brand toolkit that can help you. We've got six things. Um, number one, your bio. We were just talking about that. Get a long form bio put together for yourself that maybe goes into a little bit more detail about some of your history, get that niche statement in there, but then also have a short form one that's just, you know, maybe three sentences or so that mm -hmm. can be incorporated into quick hits. Maybe that's something that you talk about more in a caption on Instagram. So they're not reading this super long caption. Um, you can use it as a way to quickly highlight who you are and what you do in quick conversation with that short form one where they're not looking for your whole history. Yeah, That's I've used one. mine for like, I've been interviewed on podcasts. Like you just, they just want that little bio statement or like mm -hmm. any press feature if you're going to be in there, like you want to just, what is that? Yeah, one, I, I almost think you could have three, a one sentence, like a three sentence and then like a two to three paragraph. Yeah, and then let the medium dictate how much they're looking for after that. But make sure that each of them are really clear, very concise, easy to understand, um, take an editing eye to it, but that would be number one. And, and there just are, have that on one Google Doc and because like when these things come up, you don't want to be rewriting the thing. Like you want, if you get an opportunity to get your bio out there, you want to just be able to copy, mm -hmm. paste, send, boom. Totally. And there are tons of resources out there. You, you can find, find, I'm not saying copy everyone, but also there's some great bios out there in media and publications from other designers and creatives. Look at ones that have a similar feeling or energy to what you're trying to do and go, okay, what's working in the way they're doing this? How long is this one? Take some cues from what they've done. Some of them have worked with some really great PR and marketing teams to help them develop these ideas. You don't have to go out and hire someone right away in order to get this far. Um, there's a great article I found that we'll link in the show notes uh, that has a bunch of different ideas. And the other thing that I haven't done but I've contemplated is if you're really stuck, ask a friend to write it for you and just see what they say about you in a few um, sentences because the things yeah. that are going to bubble up to them are kind of your essence where I don't know I just get bogged down in like my own head we're really it. critical of ourselves so it's good to hear from others um what they find would be complimentary or how they would define what they see your work doing mm -hmm. um and then number two in your brand toolkit 
is you got to pair that bio next to a really sweet headshot. And you're probably going to need to take multiple headshots several times a year. Um, do them when you do photo shoots for your projects. Even if, I mean, talk to your photographer. Some of them aren't, aren't going to be the most comfortable with portrait work, but some will be. And what's capturing one or two nice photos? Like it's even if they are not an expert, um, take an extra outfit or something for that that day before you get too crazy. Show up ready to take that as the first opening shot. That way you're fresh. And then you can change back into your gym shorts or whatever you're wearing, your leggings to install after that, you know? Yeah, I've definitely done that. And they're some of my favorite portraits because I'm just in an element. I've done it. So yeah, that's tricky. Like your idea of being fresh is smarter for your personal self, but then I also want one <laughs> of me in the finished space. But yeah, depending on the time of year and the um, install, you could be a sweaty yeah. daddy that's not going to yeah, that you're not out. gonna have time to shower, do your makeup. That your might be again. like your um, your picture, your photo that has the cool fashion hat. Like you just throw a hat on it. Yeah, or I mean, it's not a close you, up. Yeah, they're Crossing doing a ones you, exactly the process type of photos, and you need those Styling. too. As as long as you're you have a headshot, you can go to. It's great for press. It looks great on your website. People want to see who you are. Um, I feel like that's the least you should have in, in your page somewhere is to have your face next to your bio so people know what's going on. Um, and then once you've got that started, part three of your brand toolkit is have the recognition of what you've been doing somewhere on your website that can be shared with clients. Maybe it's part of welcome kits you share with clients eventually, but if you have any awards, uh, any press where you're mentioned and you and your business are included, you should be highlighting those as part of your website because it just helps build your credibility and positions you as a professional. Totally. And in different, like this, this is just really a list of things you just need to pull together mostly like, Pull together any awards you've had, like Sean said, press mentions, have just a Google Doc that even if it's internal, because when you're ready to add that to your website, that all helps. And sometimes when you're, you're going to be positioned to sell yourself in other ways, we'll talk about that in the media kit portion, but you don't want to be hunting and pecking all over the internet every time you need this. So mm-hmm. keep it in one place and then yeah. definitely every update time- it on your website. Every time your name gets mentioned, every time a project photo of yours is shared, even if it seems small, keep track of it. You can always edit down to the ones that feel the biggest when you have a good like portion of them to pull from, but keep track of all of them. They're all valuable, especially in the beginning. Yes. And just a side note on that, putting them on your website also just helps your SEO. So mm-hmm. I like... So it's not that big of a feature that I'm in a roundup on betterhomesandgardens.com, but I'm sure <laughs> shit going to put it on my website, but it's also linking out to a huge site and they're linking back to me. So that really helps yes. your analytics and your um, SEO. Yeah. You're going to show up more often. And that's, if you just end up being 
more likely to show up at the top of the page or early enough for people to find you, that's what counts. Or if you Google me and Better Homes and Gardens comes up, that looks good. Looks pretty freaking legit. Like, <laughs> even if I'm one of 10 patio models, like, whatever. Doesn't matter. All Doesn't press, matter. All Milk press counts. is good press. Unless you're mm. like post, post meltdown Britney Spears. Maybe not all, but yes. <laughs> So, okay, number four in your brand toolkit is your actual, what we think of when we hear branding is the logos, the files that you're going to have multiple file types. We're not going to get all techie on you, but yes, there are several different file types that you want to have for these. You're going to have PNGs, you're going to have your JPEGs, you're going to have multiple types because everything's going to be used on different platforms, whether it's to create marketing and internal materials for you, whether it's going on your website, whether you're using it for mood boards, you need to have all of these in different file types. It's definitely, if you don't have experience with logo creation or things like that, this could be a little bit of an undertaking if you have less of a graphics background. Um, coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about some resources that you could look into to help with some of that. But if you do hire somebody to do your branding, just make sure they're giving you a full logo kit with, I'm going to be tacky. You need your JPEGs, you need your EPSs, you need your PNGs with a transparent background. You need your logo in full color, you need it in solid black, and you need it in white with a clear background. Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna sponsor your kids' t-ball team and you need to put your logo on the back of their shirt, you want it white with a transparent background or black. Yeah. And it's gotta be a appropriate resolution so it can be scaled depending on the size of something it's gonna end up on, how big it's gonna be printed. Right. You don't want it to be all pixely and gross. And I'll add one more thing that I always do. Um, is I create a logo guide and this is just, this doesn't have to be a fancy like 50 page brand guide. I just do a one sheet, like I did it for the Hot Young Designers Club logo. Um, I do it right away. So every logo and all of its iterations are just on there in this one PDF. And I break down the Pantone colors, the CMYK conversions, the RGB conversion, and then your hex for, web so yeah. and i use it all the time so when you're working on your website you know what your brand colors are and height to all that. i know but <laughs> you need your the hex numbers are the six digit numbers that you can customize in your website and if you yeah. know what yours are then they'll be consistent everywhere you use it totally yeah I'll you don't want it to be sample. different coloring you don't want it to be different colors on your website than it is on your presentation documents that you share with clients. It, it, it's just creating consistency. And sometimes you get your logo and you, if you don't have that, then you don't remember. And if you're not a graphics person, then you're not gonna be able to just get that info really quickly. So I'll put an okay. example in the show notes of what I'm talking about. It's not fancy, you can do it yourself just so you have it. And I like put it on my bulletin board or somewhere convenient so I can just- yeah grab the numbers when I need them. Yep, you gotta be able to refer back to it quickly and- Unless um, you're like Sean and everything's black and white, then you don't need to worry. I That makes it easy. I, 
it's just I like the simplicity of it's it. It's always not that consistent. I don't like. It's not that I don't like color. I do. I just there's a piece of me that is still like not stuck, but I just like classic. to be able to start with like a clean classic and then let all of my other work really jump from that. And that was something that was a, a central strategy when I worked with my creative company, the marketing company, to help develop some of this. Is I was like, I don't, I don't, I want this to feel evergreen. I want this to feel like something that I can keep adapting and changing with reasonably over a long period of time without it feeling, you know, too trend based. And I think for me, it was saying okay, well, black and white is probably the easiest strategy for me because totally. I my mind jumps to 45 different colors that I fall in love with every other day based on what I'm being exposed to. So and um, I'm a seven, so I want to change, I want to change my logo every year. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we could spend, um, that could even be a whole secondary episode to this is the, the thought process, the mentality, the, the work that goes into creating logos and design. It's a huge component of creating your branding and communicating it, but it shouldn't be the only thing you consider. And I do think that a lot of businesses, when they're starting out, focus on who can create a logo quick, fast, and easy, and cheap, and they've left so much on the table. So let's- Yeah, there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a solid argument for letting your portfolio work shine and your- logo recede. I think we're opposite sides of the um how we use how we approach it, but I think they're both right. Yeah, they both work. Okay, so okay. number number 5 in your brand toolkit is testimonials. You want to get statements and they don't have to be super formal. They don't even necessarily have to be yelped. You could just ask ask your clients, ask partners or vendors that you've worked with to share their perspective of the work that you have done as part of the projects. What is it like working with you? What were the results like because they worked with you? Um, how did your involvement help shape what came out of it? If it's a client, this is amazing to hear and really great to share with potential new clients that there are real people who have real thoughts about what you did. They don't have to be always the perfect 100% glamorous, positive glowing five-star reviews. In fact, most of us are probably suspicious if all we see are the always glamorous, perfect review, we might be suspicious. So if your clients share a testimonial where it shares about, oh, we ran into hiccups on time during our project, but Rebecca kept us on track, that's good to hear. That's a realistic thing to hear. And you don't, you, you may be able to use that to demonstrate to the right client or the right partner where it was valuable to have you involved in a project. Yeah. And there's, I mean, adding a reality check through the voice of previous clients, I think is a nice touch as well. Um, do you have a specific way that you've collected testimonials? I ask clients, I ask at the end of projects, I ask them to write down some quick thoughts. And sometimes I'm lucky if I get, you know, three sentences, but some people are more verbose like, than others. Yeah. You don't have like and a then, form or. 
No, I don't have anything so formal, but I will also say this. I have a really thorough kind of loop back process built into the way I function in my business. So it's, while it may not be written out in a checklist in, you know, tangibly in my, in my head at the end of every project is a very consistent process where as I've finished a project, they've gotten to enjoy it for a little bit. And I loop back to them. Usually it's after one to two weeks after they've had a chance to enjoy the space. I touch base with them by phone, talk to them a little bit. And then I say, I'm going to follow up with an email, you know, and I would love to get your thoughts. And the email is more like a prompt. Like, so I just say, how did it go? What did you think? And some people share more than others. Some people share a little bit less, but I almost always get like a little nugget of something that's good to refer to other people. And I ask clients during that, are you okay with having me refer potential new clients to you Mm. if they would like to kind of check references? Um, And I think that makes people feel, it makes people feel better to think, oh, he actually would like me to speak on his behalf. He must think really highly of this project, of the work we did. Um, I haven't had any clients yet where I have not asked that of but that doesn't mean that I couldn't have clients that I would not offer this to if the project went completely derailed and they weren't, if I did not want anyone to hear what they said. Um, yeah, not a so good reflection of your brand. You want them to say not the good nice ones. things. Yeah. yeah. I guess for some clients who want to be able to check things, that's why it makes sense to ask your clients if they're okay being contacted by a potential client. Yeah. And I think it's definitely like, how are you going to use these? So I have had testimonials um, from like sponsors and partners, which I think we can just move into number six, which is putting this all together into a media kit. This is of course optional, but um, as somebody who's trying to get sponsors and collaborations for my blog specifically i've done them for one room challenge if you listen to last week's episode you'll hear more about that um but i put partner testimonials in there because i think that's important because it's kind of the wild west still when you're working with these i I think on their end especially if they're new to influencer collaborations they want to know that you're reliable So having a testimonial from another brand or company that's worked with you, I think goes a long way. Um, But all of these things, one through five, can go into a media kit really easily. So if you're looking for speaking opportunities or brand collaborations, um, any kind of press that you're specifically pitching, putting it all into a media kit has been really helpful and it's kind of like a toolkit designed like it's a design toolkit yeah how often do you update your media kit um i mean right now i mostly use it for one room challenge so twice a year after each one i finish i update with the new brand collaborations i've had new i have one that's specifically for one room challenge so i've added pages that show my past projects yeah like before yours and afters. Really, yours is really well put together you shared it with me 
after Vegas market. I think you were secretly trying to convince me to do one room challenge when I was secret. There's no secret. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, your media kit prompted me um, to create my media kit and truly it wasn't hard to put together because I did already, I had already created my bios for my website. I had a, a, por- a portrait shot, you know, a headshot. I had already gathered some, some press um, in the beginning stages and I had my logos and I had asked clients for that. So it really became much easier. And then I was able to plug in some of the professional photography from my projects and every single partner or potential collaborator that I talked to was very impressed by how clean and clear everything was. And the, the photographs really speak highly of the type of work that we do. And I think just creating the media kit in and of itself makes you appear as someone who's got their shit together because mm-hmm. it does take a little bit of forethought and planning to do something like this. And it can help kind of bring you up another level in the way that other businesses or professionals look at you. It's packaging your brand and it's different from your website because you're selling to somebody different. Like you probably don't Mm -hmm. have a whole, I mean, you could, I guess, have an area on your website that's for press and collaborations pitching with them as the audience, but it's kind of not, I don't know, not really something everyone wants to have publicly out there. Um, Some people do. I don't really see our industry in the DM to collaborate type of energy. I mean, not to say that it's not that there aren't that level of influencer out there, but I just, I would think it could, it could have some different ways that you see it come across maybe. Right. um, If it's out there in the public. And I think the other fun thing about having the media kit that I've found, and I think you said this to me too, is it gives you a little bit more confidence and um, helps you. Cause I know you were hesitant about pitching some of the brands that we talked about originally. Yeah. And I was too, when I first started doing it and having, when I put my media kit together, I'm like, okay, I do not have 50,000 followers on Instagram, but like, this looks kind of like, I know what I'm doing <laughs> and I can pull this off. Totally. And it helped me just feel like I was bringing something to the table before we even started. Yeah. And, and it can be a lot to put together. So take your time, start pulling it together now. I know that a lot of us are having some slow time um, or we have a little bit of lag in between certain phases of our projects. So this is a good time to look at everything, update it as needed, start plugging it in. And if it's slow, just work on it little by little. It's not that right away you're going to get it all done. And there's some um, great kind of templates that are already built out there for Mm -hmm. media kits and some of this. Um, Rebecca, I know you, you referred or or shared with me uh, creative market. Yep. And they had some great, they had a couple different styles and sure enough, one of them was, already the way the template was built very close to my brand and aesthetic and I was able to download it in a file format that I could edit you know I, I like to use InDesign or Illustrator 
if you don't have those software programs, they even had them in other formats like yeah, Word you can that you could work in. You can search. Like the nice thing about Creative Market is it's um, like user to user. So it's like a designer can add their designs. And so it's, um, I guess it's like a marketplace. Um, yeah, and they have, so you can search by template type. So whether it's Word doc or Canva, um, some of them come in multiple formats in the same template. So. Package, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think this is the front of mind for both of us right now because we we both just happen to be working on updates to our websites and our services. That My services was something that I'm working on on my website and how I'm trying to communicate a little bit clearer to potential clients what my offerings are and how they remote can find what yeah. well remote offerings but also it's just i don't want to have to pitch the whole book of what i'm capable of i want to be more forthright with what what items can kind of belong together so clients can find things faster and i have less to talk about or less to explain when i'm on a quick call with them or in a meeting with them instead we've kind of gotten that out of the way by using my website services page that i'm up working on updating now yeah i feel like we should have a whole um episode about websites and strategy because i know you and i have been debating different approaches behind the scenes um mm -hmm. how much to get you're away working on and, yours right now yes and I'm quote unquote working on mine. <laughs> it's all in my head still. In but, between being a full-time everything for everyone at your household during self-isolation. Yeah. I mean, like you were saying, it's easier than you think, but it's also to me, I, once I get started on stuff like this, I don't want to stop. So I can't be interrupted. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I have a history being a graphic designer. I know Photoshop, Illustrator, I know a little bit of HTML code. So it makes sense for me. I'm DIYing my website based on a WordPress template that I bought. But, and you've got a, a lot of background in that. So I, with, yeah. when, when I hear you doing it, I'm like, good for her because it's, it, you, you have the space, the experience, the background to come into that. For me, I knew that in the time it would take me to finally figure out how to do it all by myself, and I'm not tech incapable, I feel like I'm pretty confident in different technologies and website, but I knew that by the time I figured out how to do it myself, it just wasn't worth it. It was easier for me to get someone to help me, you know, to outsource that work to a creative marketing company who can help build things for me and execute and truth be told, sometimes the things I'm working on, but by the time I even explain what I want, they could have already executed it by the time I finished explaining it because they just know what they're doing and it frees up my time to keep investing in other parts of my business, working on things that are billable than worrying about you know oh gosh i did have to pay an invoice to my creative marketing company like it's okay i was able to do something else with that time yeah and i think the key to that difference is whether you want to do it or not <laughs> like you are totally capable uh, of learning how and i know you could do it but you don't want to no and i i could have the skill 
I do not have the will. I don't, I just, <laughs> I don't want to do it, even if I can do it. Which is the same. So I did um, hire my logo and my brand out for my new logo to my old art director because I knew he would nail it. And that was kind of like what I was saying earlier about having a friend do your bio. I was just stuck mm -hmm. on what should, what should I look like? And he brought something into it. Like it's not live yet, hopefully soon, but he brought something that I never would have been able to do or wouldn't have seen myself that way, but it feels like totally like me. So I'm really yeah. excited to have done that. Yeah. And we've worked, we worked with different, different people to, for our stuff for, or to have help with some of it, but there are, there's companies that are out there making big goes of this. I know that um, Anastasia at Identity Collective shows up a lot on a lot of our Instagram feeds and she's worked with a number of designers. And in fact, she seems to really focus in her entire business on how to help interior designers in their websites, their branding, their social media. And she's made a big go of it. And I think that if you're in a place where you can take some money from some of your early projects if you're starting out or if you've built up a little bit of capital into your business it makes sense to put it into stuff like this so you can get off the ground faster or build up some momentum faster with your business it's going to raise your professionalism it's going to create a lot of instant credibility um and if you aren't going to do it yourself it is kind of awesome to just be able to have a creative team that um can do things for you quickly that can free up your time. I mean, don't be afraid to invest in people who make your life easier. And get it done. <laughs> like that's the yeah, pain point I'm right in. Now anyway. Yeah, it's over my, it's now my website. I'm committed to doing it, but it's definitely like hanging over my head and it's not getting yeah. done, but and that's, I'm going your to. Your brand is your brand is going through like it's version 2.0 or probably like it might even be 3.0 or further, but a brand is always evolving. Your projects mm -hmm. are going to change. Your aesthetic is going to change what you love and your projects is going to change. I mean, look at where, just as an example, that pops immediately. If we look at where like Amber Interiors was starting in the beginning of her career and Ikea cabinets and bathrooms and projects like that. And then you look at where she is now, you could not imagine her working with her first year opening website with a clientele that she's working with now with full scale custom construction and all of these techniques. It's not set it and forget it. So you have to make sure that you have access to make changes, that you can pivot when you need to, when your business needs to change or update its direction. If you're doing it for yourself or if you're getting someone to help you, um, you need to make sure that you can keep coming back to this and keep it moving and evolving. Um, you may want to be adding more services or you might want to be removing some things that are profitable for you. Um, and you need to be able to change that when it makes sense. Especially like right now, we are all having to adapt in major ways. So you don't want a website that's incorrect and implausible. Like, it's like stuck somewhere. Yeah, and no one, like, if you're just offering services that can't be done right now, you're not going to sell that client. Totally. 
Yeah. So that's the, that was the big question that started all of this was just, you want to figure out, well, does my brand suck? Well, maybe go back to the beginning. Do you, do you know your audience? Do you, does your brand, does what you're putting out there, does it feel like a reflection of you? Uh, is it, is it consistent throughout all the platforms and all the different ways that you communicate and that clients interact with you? And is it aesthetically in line with the type of work that you're doing? Um, if, if it's not, your brand might suck. <laughs> well, I feel like my <laughs> brand sucks right now. So, you know, the first step I, is knowing. to work on it. Right. Yeah. You gotta admit it's a problem. And again, we will all, this will always be something that keeps changing. So you might feel super happy with it. Like Rebecca, where you are, after you get all these new changes you've been working on updated, you're going to feel really good about it for a while. And then it might start to like go back slope a little, and then you need to refresh again, a couple things or update just a few components along the way. So I update my um, website, like once a month, I make some sort of like, change or take a page down a little tweak or change or i see a new format that i like on another web platform and i'm like oh i wonder if that could be updated on my blog or i wonder if i could change this color somewhere and it's okay to mess with it but by all means if you are not into that don't spend all your time in that you know it's it's okay to yeah it's okay to let it sit for a little while and then kind of group together a a grouping of changes that you want to make all at once and then maybe bring them to a web company so yeah but it should be a um, living your brand should be a living and breathing entity totally so don't leave this with feeling like oh my god i can't do anything there were definitely some small pieces that you could break down and start chipping away at these work on them slowly they are achievable they can all be done but you need to start somewhere all those pieces in the toolkit are zero cost, potentially. At least getting yeah. the content together. Correct. Yeah, it might take you, you might have to get a portrait taken and pay a photographer to help get that done. But those are things that you can build into and plan for them as, as the right projects come up. Yep. This week, we have a design agony question that was uh, submitted. And... We, I just like being able to hear what's going on with other designers and see where their heads are at in their businesses. Rebecca, do you want to read this week's question? I'll read it. Yeah. Okay. Jen asks, she's looking for a little, little advice. How do you ask clients for more money when they keep adding things not included in the scope in contract? I had a horrible experience asking in my early years that now I'm so hesitant and I know the only way to be successful is to not work for free. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, she has PTSD probably. I mean, it's rough, but I will, I, I think you should share first how you've would handle something like this. I have some thoughts too, but the first thing I would say is I have never met a client who didn't scope creep on something. Like to me, it's just going to happen and I am mentally prepared for things to get added or edited or removed from the scope we talked about in the contract. So 
that's this is kind of to be expected so it's good she asked because we want to be prepared with how to react to it yeah i mean hindsight is 2020 the first step is to have this conversation before projects start and let them know and it should be in your contract anything above and beyond this agreement whatever it is is going to be billed at this hourly rate is what mine says mm-hmm. um and it's awkward like i've been stuck in this position where i get really friendly with my clients and some of them are already friends and um it's just awkward feeling like you're reneging or i don't know going back on an original deal but the best thing is to just tell them before you start like the thing you don't do is start doing the work and then ask them for more money. Right. Yeah. You can't do the extra scope and then come back and say, oh, P.S., you owe me $5,000 more. Yeah. That's going to piss it's people gotta off. Be, it's got to be before I've invested all this time in updating your floor plans or adding on a powder bathroom to the project. Like, it, it has to be mentioned. we got to figure out what this costs before, we, before you Are agree you okay or before you're sure. It? Yeah, I I usually I think I take it from that standpoint too of have the conversation before a project starts, even if it's built into your contract, it's worth calling that out of, hey, sometimes when we work on projects, stuff gets added. I see it happen all the time. Just know that when that happens, here's my process. And I think it's it's hard. I don't know what it is about creative that does this, but remember you for for Jen's question, Jen, you're not, you're not asking to be paid. You're telling them this costs more. They have to decide whether or not they want you to do that work that costs extra. And the, it's really up to them. Um, and I know that's hard for a lot of creatives to stand in their space and say, this is what it is. So I usually, I have a kind of informal process when clients want to add onto their scope. And it's because I have really good contractual terms built in that in where I'm at, an email that they respond to in a certain way usually is pretty, a pretty good legal place to stand. Obviously, depending on the states you're in, talk with your attorney. If you don't have one, you should find someone that can consult on contracts. But you, I usually put together a quick proposal of hours in an email. It's not very formal. It's usually like, oh, you, you know, as we were sharing at our meeting today, you want me to add X, Y, Z. And that's in addition to our original scope. And I think it'll take this many design hours, which costs this much. And then I just remind them that this is an estimate um, because I bill hourly. So this is an estimate and that the real build hours could be different depending on what it takes to finish it. And I ask them to reply by a certain date, whether they'd like me to do it or not. And um, that's, you know, depending on how big of a change it is, I may ask them for a larger deposit or retainer to cover a portion of those hours. If my existing retainer covers a good portion of what's being added, I may not ask for more. It's usually if it's gonna be like more, I would say if the scope that they're adding is going to be more than a thousand dollars, I like to pump in a little extra retainer money or deposit money against those hours from what I collected originally 
that way I'm not running into a risk of getting to the end and they're wondering why all these unbilled hours or unpaid hours aren't there yet. And like, if it's something like the original agreement was I was designing their living room, but now they want to incorporate the adjoining dining room, then I think I would even just do a whole new like mini proposal that includes Mm -hmm. a deposit for the additional work, but it has a scope and what's, included what's not yeah get them back on board when it's going to be big it's okay to revise the contract the original contract and go back and revisit um in a lot of professional settings addendums to contracts are very common yeah just clients it's a good reminder to just have these conversations before the bridge you come to that bridge because Mm -hmm. Some clients, they a lot of clients I've had, this is totally a new process for them. Like it's kind of a yeah. complicated business. It's not just we're selling a widget and they're buying it. Like it's no, it's very mysterious for some people. They don't. Well, we kind of make it mysterious though, because we don't know. Like you just said, like we don't know how many hours it's going to take. We hope it only yeah. takes this many. I need. I need time to sit down in my office, away from them, look at past projects similar to the scope they're talking about adding and get a reasonable estimate together. I can't do that on the spot. Like I'm not at a Carl's Jr. register hitting a picture of a burger or whatever. Like I don't don't know. And we don't know (laughs) if they're going to say they want white tile and then end up wanting orange tile. (laughs) Correct. Like we don't, we can't predict that. Um, So we can't predict what they're going to, a lot of times it's an evolving process for them where they kind of start out really nervous, but then realize like, okay, I'm feeling braver. I want to try this. And that means things shift. So it's hard. I mean, we can't predict it. No. And I think that's, you're right. That's where it goes back to saying early in the process, this is going to happen. If it does, this is how we're going to handle it. It's not weird. It's not out of the normal. I'll give you a heads up. Yeah, I'm gonna like make it so it's not like out of the blue that you get a bill on your lap. Like it's and some clients don't know what they don't know. Like if this is the first time it's happened with you, how are they gonna say that you don't always handle it this way? They don't just tell them this is how I normally handle it, and they don't need to know that that's the first time you've had to do it that way. So it's it's okay to pivot True. quickly on that, and and um, also they may back down because if it's like, oh, can we see this another way? And you say, sure, that'll be three more hours. Oh, never mind. Let's just go with <laughs> Yeah, let's just two. come in and pull the trigger. Yeah, it's easy when we're talking about imaginary dollars until they become real dollars and people start to change their perspectives. So I hope that helps, Jen. And for all of you listening, we would love to hear your questions and talk about them on the air. If you have questions about running your design business, email us at Hot Young Designers Club at gmail.com. Next week, let's talk about professional photo shoots 101. So, we're going to talk about how you can prepare for your shoots, maybe what to look for in a photographer, things to tell the clients, and what to expect when you're styling for a shoot versus styling for real life or the way that you might have installed it for a client. Yep. So we'll be bringing some tips. 
we'll give you some takeaways to expect for. And even if you have had your own professional shoots, there will definitely be something that you can take away. Yeah, because I think everybody does. It's just a little bit different. So it's critical. I'm stoked for next week. All right. Okay. Number three is in the bag. We did it. Done and done. Check, check. All right. Thanks, Sean. I'll talk to you in five minutes. (laughs) Thanks, Rebecca. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. Do 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 do